0: many people if you ask them how many three putts did you have last round they'll say oh i had three and i they'll they'll remember them i say, well how many one putts did you have i have no clue
1: hello everybody welcome to another episode of the mental golf show as always i'm your host josh nichols and on today's episode we've got mark brody we are going to be talking about who mark brody is what golf analytics is why is it valuable for us to even care about stats How adjusting your aim helps you save strokes, what stats and analytics does for confidence, can knowing your stats actually hurt your game? And yes, believe it or not, there's more. But before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about the custom weekly practice plan. If you're interested in practicing better and practicing the way that I did to get good enough to make it to the finals of a USGA championship, then you need a custom weekly practice plan. Here's how it goes. You give me your stats or your assessment of your driving, approach shots, short game and putting, and you tell me when you can typically practice and play, and I will hand build you a practice plan and send it to you in PDF form, as well as a customizable template with practice challenges. You will get a fully filled out week of practice down to the minute, which you can use week after week and work on your game in a systematic way. Go to joshnickelsgolf.com slash practice dash plan, or go to the link in the show notes to learn more and purchase your practice plan. And if you feel like you need one on one work on your mental game, that's what I do. Yes, I host this podcast and I build practice plans, but my actual occupation is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology. If you like the topics I cover with guests or my Golf Thought Thursday episodes, this is the exact type of stuff that I work on with players. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or if you'd like a less formal intro to mental coaching, where you don't have to spend any money or talk to me at all, you could take the Mental Game Assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that will give you your mental strengths and your biggest area for mental improvement. It's a great resource to start working on your mental game. And the best part is it's free. The link to everything that I've mentioned will be in the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get in this conversation with Mark Brody. Hope you enjoy. So we maybe we could just jump right into like who you are. The kind of question that came up when I was thinking about, okay, how should I try to get Mark to introduce himself because he's He's probably been on a million of these and, and everyone knows, knows him that would probably be listening to this, but let's pretend no one had ever heard of you. And you're completely anonymous. How would you describe what you do, who you are? What would you say?
0: So my day job is as a Columbia business school professor. So that's, you know, a lot of my time, but, uh, golf analytics has become a bigger part of my work over the last, uh, 10 or 15 years now. So golf on golf analytics. What do you mean? It's to better understand the game of golf and to pr- improve golf performance. So it's not talking about the swing necessarily. It's not talking about the mental game, but strategy would be in there and certainly, uh, different types of, uh, golf statistics. And an example might be putts per round is a counting stat but it's not very informative. So strokes gain that I came up with allows you to better measure performance, whether it's putting, driving short game shots. Um, and I've also recently worked on uh, ranking systems, including the official world golf rankings. So um, there's a lot of analytics in golf and in everything we do in life. It's, it's, it's amazing how pervasive it's, it's been. So that's, that's what I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the value of statistics is clear, especially for the players at the top of the game. We constantly hear about it during a golf broadcast or, um, or hear players talk about it for their own improvement, but what's the value for probably the average listener of this? What would be the value of statistics to Say a '90s shooter. Why? Why should there? Why should they care about statistics, or why? Why should they care about strokes gained, or what you do, or what you've pioneered?
0: Well, nice that you started off by saying the value of statistics is fairly obvious, because I don't think that uh, everybody would would agree with that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So tell me why maybe it's not obvious.
0: Well, I'm just saying there there are people that that ignore it, don't want to, don't want to know their stats and don't think it can help them. Right. So how, how would I answer that or counter that? Well, one, it can help you identify strengths and weaknesses. Um, It can help you set goals. Uh, Justin Thomas is fairly uh, well known for at the end of the season, publishing what his goals were at the beginning of the season. And those goals often include stroke gain goals. Um, it's helpful to be able to monitor progress. It's one thing to set a goal, but you want to see, are you progressing toward that goal or not? Uh, uh, and it can inform uh, inform your practice. So um, instead of just taking my word for it, I like, uh, I like this quote from Rory McIlroy. I'm a big believer in stats and using stats and objective data to improve your game and using statistics to influence your practice and what you do on the practice range. So there's number one player in the world for, for many weeks, multiple time, major winner, basically saying I'm a big believer in stats. So maybe if you're a 90 shooter, you don't care what Rory McIlroy does to get better. But if the best players in the world do this, then it's possible that it would help you too. And I think generally what I've learned is there's more room for improvement if you shoot in the nineties. And so that has a bigger opportunity to help you because there's so much room for improvement. Whereas the top players in the world, they're fighting for a 10th of a stroke here and a quarter of a stroke there. But I think uh, there there is more potential and easier to, to see the benefits if you're a 90 shooter than than a scratch golfer.
1: Right. Yeah. The the learning curve is um, there's more opportunity to get better with less effort at that level. Right. So should should a 90 shooter say should they dive fully into full blown and I say full blown like that makes it sound intimidating but you know full-blown strokes gain statistics or is there more introductory stats that they they should be taken
0: i would recommend everybody that wants to improve dives into full blown strokes gain statistics because you can spend and waste your time recording fairways greens and putts which i did and many other people do you write on your scorecard fact that i hit the fairway or not put a tick mark if you had a three putt or a one putt, whatever. And I would look at that at the end of the round and I would learn nothing. And I think that gives stats a bad name because I agree fairway greens and putts are just not very useful. <laughs> um, so what would help is if you really know what parts of your game are in the biggest need of improvements versus something that might be fairly strong. And many players, because of who they play with, benchmark themselves against similar players. And so if you come to a, a, a hole with there's out of bounds on the right, and you've got to force them and one player out of four hits it out of bounds. And that's sort of a typical round. You could say, yeah, well, that's what's to be expected. We're not good golfers. One out of four out of bounds just sounds about right or nothing to get, you know, nothing to change your strategy because it's a common occurrence. But then you realize when you look at the strokes gained, one swing and I lost two strokes. And then you learn, well, if I change my strategy, which in this case, you want to uh, change your target orient your target. So you're not changing your swing. You're not changing your shot pattern. You're just moving it away from the out of bounds. And now you don't hit 25% out of bounds. You hit 2% out of bounds and your score just went down a stroke and a half by playing smarter. And so stroke gain can, you know, shine a light on these areas of your game that might not have been obvious Um when you're just, you know, playing around with of golf with your buddies, certainly if you, if you track fairway greens, and putts, you wouldn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> right. You hit, you hit one shot from say 75 yards in the fairway and you put it 15 feet away from the hole and you say, ah, that's, that's not bad. But it was 15 feet to the right in a bunker. And that's, that's now a shot that loses you know, one swing lost you a half to three quarters of a stroke. And he was like, yeah, but I hit it. It was only 15 feet off target. But yeah, if you're in the fairway and you put yourself in a bunker and you're short-sighted, it's a huge mistake. And if you track your shots, Again, this bright light is just shining on that. Like, what did you do here, stupid? <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course it's going to happen. That's going to happen once in a while, but you kind of know whether you're trying to go for that flag and you should have been more conservative or if it was this one in a hundred shot that you just hit 40 feet to the right of your, your target and happened to go in into the sand. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer also in using stats to help, uh, everyday golfers, uh, because the, the potential is, is even bigger.
1: Yeah. And, and not even where I could improve and, um, what I could use it for my practice. But I I love what you said about kind of knowing your own shot pattern and, uh, and shifting it based on, okay, if I'm on average hitting it 27 feet, from the hole or from where I aim or whatever then I should shift that to where 27 feet won't get me in trouble and let's put this big oval or this big circle away from trouble where the where anywhere in this oval a normal range of shots will still be okay is that am I kind of getting that right?
0: That's great I love it and where stats comes in is knowing your margin for error knowing how big that oval is that's players and that's where expectations come in because players think oh you know pros from 100 yards are going to hit it to within 10 feet and they don't and amateurs from 100 yards you know it it is closer to (laughs) to 40 feet as opposed to 20 feet or, or 10 feet so just recording uh your stats for a short period of time you'll you'll get a better understanding of of your game and that can inform your your strategy.
1: Hey guys, Josh here. Just want to pop in and tell you about an awesome new sponsor of the show, the Divot Board, the game-changing golf training aid designed to elevate your swing and revolutionize your game. Whether you're a beginner teeing off for the first time or an elite player striving for perfection, the Divot Board is your ultimate partner for achieving a consistent and effective golf swing. What sets the Divot Board apart is its patented technology that offers instant feedback, both at home and on the range. With every swing, you gain valuable insights into the crucial point of impact, as well as your swing path, enabling you to make real-time adjustments. It's really just like a Divot. This means you'll fine-tune your technique right on the spot, leading to greater consistency and improved ball contact. One of the most important parts of quality practice is instant feedback, and nothing does that like the divot board. It really is just like a real divot. What's truly remarkable is the flexibility the divot board brings to your practice. Whether you're honing your skills with a golf ball or simply focusing on your swing mechanics, the divot board accommodates both preferences. It's your portable golf coach, always ready to provide guidance, whether you're indoors or outdoors. Mike at the divot board was kind enough to send me one and I personally use mine in my backyard to hit foam golf balls. And it's really cool. I had a little project where I built a hitting platform with a custom cutout sized exactly for the divot board. It's been an awesome way to be able to get quality practice with real feedback without even leaving the house. And with having a one-year-old and running my own business, take it from me, this has honestly been great for my mental and physical health, as well as my golf game. The Divot Board has a genuine turf feel, giving you an authentic golf experience each time you use it. No matter where you are or what your skill level is, this training aid will undoubtedly help you build the confidence and skill you need to excel on the course. And to top it all off, the divot board is running an awesome fall sale right now. Now through November 30th, you can get a divot board for just $99. That's $40 off the full price. To upgrade your practice and get your divot board, go to divotboard.com slash mentalgolfshow. And use the discount code MentalGolf10, the number 1010, MentalGolf10 at checkout to get an additional 10% off your purchase. Or go to the link in the show notes of this episode. Again, that's DivotBoard.com mental golf show and use the offer code MentalGolf10 at checkout to get 10% off. That will bring your divot board all the way down to just $90. Don't wait, go grab it now. Many thanks to Divot Board for partnering with The Mental Golf Show. All right, let's get back to the episode. Kind of a left turn, but still stats related, uh, and maybe a little bit of your history. As we're recording this, the Ryder Cup, I think, starts tomorrow, right? And you've had some involvement in the Ryder Cup in the past, I believe, right? Um, And... Are, is there any, are, have you had any involvement in this one, uh, for, for this year?
0: Not, not this one. I was involved with the, uh, the president's cup with the, uh, the international team last, uh, last year near your neck of the woods.
1: (laughs) Uh, Right. Okay. So, so then, um, you've, you've had involvement with these teams and you've mentioned Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, uh, uh, guys that are heavily, uh, in the light, uh, for this Ryder cup. So, What do you just topically, I think it's, I think it's interesting, although people might not hear this till after the Ryder cup, but what, what kind of analytics and stats would go into, let's say a hot topic item would be Justin Thomas choosing him for the team and um, whether or not that was a great choice or a bad choice, but what kind of, if you were informing a captain on like, should I choose Justin Thomas or should I not would would there be analytics involved in that decision, uh, and and would it um, would it make the decision easier, or does it make it more difficult, or what what do you think about Justin Thomas specifically?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to uh, respectfully punt on any any particulars there, but of course, but I would say yeah. you know for the Ryder Cup and Presidents Cup. Uh, the international team, where I do have kind of first, mm. first-hand experience, analytics informed many parts of the process. So the first part was captain's picks.
1: Yeah,
0: and actually before that, the first part was the automatic qualification process. How do you design a system to try and get your six best automatic qualifiers? And so worked with Trevor Immelman on on that. Uh, then the second is the the captain's picks where analytics definitely played a huge role in in doing that. And even more so for the international team because of the uh LIV defections. And so the international team's at a disadvantage as far as the depth goes compared to the US team. And then you have several of their top players, you know, going over to live, and now you've got to go even even deeper. So it was really, I think, helpful to to look at things through this kind of analytics, uh, perspective. Um, and then when you get to the, the match itself, then it's the pairings different between four ball and foursomes. How do you want to do that? And then also the lineup order, which is actually more interesting in the president's cup than the Ryder cup, because there it's like a snake draft where one team puts out a pair or single and then the other team responds and then it goes back and forth that way, whereas it's a blind draw in uh in the Ryder Cup. And then of course it's you know choosing even and odd hole when you're doing alternate shots. So analytics plays uh, a huge part in uh these kind of team team competitions. And it doesn't make or break, but you know, you want to get every little edge that you can and you don't want to give up these these edges which uh, can make a big difference. So at Quail Hollow, uh, as, as with the course in, in Rome, there's, uh, compared to an average, say, PGA Tour course, there's, there's more shots kind of in this, uh, 200 yard range, which makes it a, a, a big difference who you want to have on your team and then how you want to pair people up and on which holes. Cause if you know, there's, say, three long par threes than on odd numbered holes or uneven numbered holes. And you can design your, your, uh, your, your choice so that you've got the stronger long iron player teeing off on those holes, it, it makes sense. You wouldn't wanna give up that advantage.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We hear more and more every year that analytics are more and more part of these team events. And, um, and having you part of a, a team is, is a really, uh, obvious, um, ex, uh, example of that. So, so when a team has these kind of this analytical, uh, approach to it, and maybe this bridges also to the average golfer, what does that do in the moment when a player is, is playing around a golf, what does having knowledge of your own stats, do for your own mental game, confidence, decision-making? Um, what, how does strategy bridge over to confidence in the mental game? Do you have like some personal thoughts on that or an opinion on that?
0: So uh, a couple. Um, one is in this sort of team kind of format. Trevor Immelman was really great with the players saying, you don't have to worry about that. You just worry about playing golf. We'll worry about the pairings. Trust us that we're doing what's best for the team. And so instead of having player saying, I want to play with this person or I don't want to play with that person or whatever. It was more, you focus on the golf. Let us focus on on this. And that was a way to head off a lot of issues that that come up with you know whatever. Um, so I think Trevor did just a fantastic job with that. Um, so I also like this, uh, this, this, story that Sean Foley tells about, um, uh, stats. So he was on a plane ride home with Justin Rose, uh, after a tournament. This was, this was a number of years ago and Justin Rose asked Sean Foley, sorry, Sean Foley asked Justin Rose, how good of a wedge player are you? And he says, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty good, but, you know, I've got a lot of room for improvement. I could I could be a lot better, which you could pick almost any player in almost any part of your game. And that sounds like a stock generic answer that you would give to the media that is pretty safe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really give away any information at all. Um, yeah, I'm okay, but I could be better. <laughs> and Don Foley showed him this report that I had prepared for him, which showed from these around-the-green wedge shots, um, Dustin Rhodes was number one in the world. He was the best that season at it. And Sean's point was, number one, he didn't know this.
1: Mm.
0: And number two, he could then set up the next time he has one of these shots instead of saying, oh, I think I'm okay at this, whatever. No, I am the best of the world at this shot. I can, I can do this. And so... We often think of analytics as exposing a player's weaknesses and players getting, you know, Scotty Beckler, what's wrong with your putting? What's wrong with your putting? Whereas there's the other, there's the flip side of how it can give you confidence that you're actually good or better than you thought you were uh, at a certain area of, of your game. So I think it, it cuts both ways. And it's just the the confidence part is just under. Underrated,
1: right? The the manage your expectations of you're worse than you think you are, is certainly valuable when when it's like a 90 shooter aiming at a flag that's four paces off the edge. Okay, pump pump the brakes, right? Like maybe you shouldn't be aiming at that flag, but on the other side, is there is there anything with let's say 90 shooters? I pick on them because they kind of seem like they're about the average golfer, but is there anything? for those kind of golfers where, Hey, you're actually better than you think you are. Obviously Justin Tom uh, or, um, uh, Justin Rose best in the world at at a thing that's harder to relate to, but, or impossible to relate to. But as, as an average golfer, is there anything that you think, Hey, you should actually be more proud of yourself than you currently are.
0: Yeah. And some of that is, just, you know, how do you record stats? And I've had so many people say, you know, I just, I just three putt, you know, way too much. And then you take a look at how many times they three putt. And if if you take away when they're 20 yards off the green using a putter (laughs) and they count that as a three putt twice, right? you know, they end up taking, you know, 33 putts, not 40, whatever it is. And so there, there's this, it's, true, a three putt loses you about a shot. There, there's no doubt about that. But it's not a three putt if you're putting from 20 yards off the green. That is something that you're, you're, you're around the green stats are not based on the club you use. So if you're 50 yards away, you use a putter. You don't count that as a putt. Come on. <laughs> but, pe- but, right. but people no. do. So people, I think, have a, yeah. a, a warped sense of of how good or how bad they are, and yeah, three putts do cost, and they they're, they're something that are, are, are worth thinking about. But on the flip side of that is the biggest gain for a 90 shooter is sinking more putts, more one putts. So many people, if you ask them how many three putts did you have last round, they'll say, oh, I had three, and I, they'll they'll remember them. I say, well, how many one putts did you have? I have no clue. Because what was it three one putts? Was it seven? Was it whatever? So, and you want to get rid of like the inside of two feet, but sinking more putts from say three to ten feet is one of the biggest ways that uh 90 shooters can, can improve,
1: yeah. And and I think what you're getting at is we tend to overgeneralize around a round of golf as uh those. like I had a really emotional uh three putt where it was so stupid I uh, or I four putted so man I bet I three putted 10 times today and if you were taking stats you'd actually see oh wait no it was only three times it wasn't good but it was better than I expected I look back more emotionally because of that kind of spike in emotion moment right That I think that's a value of it
0: yeah and the three putts could be you know you hit a few more greens than normally and you had a couple more 50 and 60 footers than you normally have yeah so that's what strokes gain will help with it'll normalize for yeah if you had a couple three putts starting from 50 feet away it's not so bad as a three yeah. putt from 10 feet right so it, it'll do that that adjustment automatically for you and put it you know give you better expectations mm,
1: okay so is there is there ever a time when knowing stats can hurt or as you're playing, wow, I kind of wish I didn't know this because I can think of an example of, um, like a 10 footer is uh, for a PJ tour player is what 40 some percent, uh, make rate. So I'm standing over a 10 footer and I'm probably not going to make this. That's a potential thought, right? That's not necessarily a helpful thought, but is there, is there times when, uh, knowing stats can hurt or is it just a generally, you should always do this and be okay with what you know?
0: So I think of it as, um, first there's a question of whether you should track your shots on the course or afterwards. And, I think the answer is different depending on the person. I'm the type of person that I use it instead of writing notes on a scorecard. I use my phone as my scorecard, and that allows me actually to forget about my score. I enter Uh my shots. I go to the next poll. I'm just playing next poll because that's all recorded, and I don't have to think about it. So it's recorded, it's gone. I now focus on the shot ahead. Whereas other people, it's a distraction. It's like, oh, instead of when my golf, I now got to remember to take out my phone or write this stuff down or whatever. So you don't want to do it if it's going to be a distraction. You do want to do it, I think, if it helps you forget about what just happened and it does that. Anyway, the second thing Mm -hmm. is more directly to your question is, I don't think about my stats on the course. I never think of I'm 10 feet away with my make rates. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't affect my confidence because I don't think about it and I don't see how it would possibly Mm -hmm. help. Stats are more for off-the-course analysis and planning. Um, Stats are more maybe for making a decision about how aggressive or conservative to be on on a shot and i think that when you not you know know the more advanced analytics in terms of stroke gain, but knowing simple things knowing your carry distances what's more important than that when you're deciding what club to hit and whether this is going to carry the the bunker or or not so number one knowing your carry distances to me that's a basic form of stats second would be learn how much wind affects your shots and going back to the 90 golfers, it's amazing how many people when they're 150 yards out and that's their seven iron distance, they hit a seven iron all the time. Yeah, but 150 yards away when it's 20 feet downhill with a wind at your back or uphill with a incoming wind, whatever, I've seen poor pros, same shot, same position, different days go from a seven iron to a nine iron to a five iron it's like there's a you know four club difference where most amateurs if it's if it's a seven iron it's a seven iron and if it's into the wind it comes up short if it's downwind it maybe reaches the middle of the green kind of usually doesn't doesn't go over um Mm -hmm. but then then one other thing i would say about about putting, and this is a little bit toward, toward what you're saying is, um, 90 golfers tend to be too aggressive in their long shots, taking on too much risk and too conservative in their putting. And by conservative in putting, I mean, you don't want to leave more than 10% of your 10 footer short. So that doesn't mean you want to knock your 10 footers five feet by doesn't mean that at all but it certainly means never up never in if you can't get the ball to the hole it's not going in and pros leave almost none of their putts inside of 10 feet short. amateurs leave two three four times as many short as pga tour pros do and it's not because they don't have the power to get it to the hole right um it's it's that they're not being, I think aggressive enough, but that could be in green reading. They're not realizing how uphill this putt is thinking, uh, you know, a 10 footer is a 10 footer, not, Oh, this is an uphill 10 footer. I got to hit it as if it's a 12 foot putt. So there's a lot of different reasons for it, but that's, that's the one place where I'd say, you know, choosing what club deciding, you know, how hard to hit a putt where knowing, knowing stats can help a little bit.
1: Right. It, um, If you know, I tend, I I think knowing tendencies is like a really core reason for stats. If I know that I tend to leave 10 footers short, that should be factored into my decision making here. Or, I mean, one, you've touched on multiple times. If I tend to hit it 40 feet from the hole, I should not aim where 40 feet will get me in trouble. So knowing tendencies, having that as knowledge for decision making, not for uh I'm probably not gonna make this, so exactly. I should yeah. <laughs> I should already
0: ride it off and
1: as a dock. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. And a couple other things. One is putting is kind of binary. If you're fifty fifty from six feet, say, which is about a ninety week offer is fifty percent from six feet. Well, if you miss it, that should you shouldn't beat yourself up for doing that. Right. You gotta look at you got to look at if i have 10 of those am i sinking half of them or more you got to look at at multiple six footers not just not just one six footer um the other thing like where stats can help with with putting if you track your shots did i miss this putt high or low so it's a makeable 10 foot putt and it's got some break to it well if you record did i miss it low or did i miss it on the high side if you miss eighty percent of your putts low and twenty percent of your putts high, that ought to tell you <laughs> that you need to practice that. You need to practice your green reading, your aim, or your start line, whatever. Um, and sort of just the same way you can move your oval <laughs> in full shots, you can move your aim on on putts. Whatever whatever it takes to make that closer to fifty fifty. Because if you're missing eighty percent of your putts on the low side, there's easy easy gains to be made. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And I, back to, back to kind of your first, uh, way that knowing your stats is helpful, uh, for you personally, when you use your phone and moving on, I, I do something really similar of, I use a little notebook and kind of the, um, the feeling of like clapping the, the notebook closed is like a mental trigger to say that's done. Right, that's that's in the past. I'm gonna stick this in my pocket. And I'm gonna let my notebook be my memory for me. I don't need to remember it anymore. So I love yes. uh, if there's one thing people take away from this, I think the value of taking stats as a letting letting the memory of it go. It's in the past. It doesn't matter anymore. I think that's an extremely valuable purpose for it.
0: Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Um, the uh, I like the way you phrase it too. The value of letting it go.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, so then we've taken stats and do you, do you get to work, like actually get to the practice facility and actually work on your game much? Or is it mostly playing or like how much do you get to actually work on your game?
0: Um, not, not too much. I probably, instead of playing, if I play two days on a weekend, I should probably play one day and practice, practice the other. So, um, I'm, I'm not as good as I, sh- I should be as far, as far as that goes, but right. um, it also depends on your objective is, you know, what do you right. get the most pleasure out of? And if you get pleasure out of practicing, then, then, then you should, you should do that. Um, right. But in everybody's got a limited amount of time. And so a value of stats is well, if I only have an hour to practice this week, what should I practice? so right. I think it, it really helps with that and you can if you don't want to track your stats on the course you can track not all your practice but you know you can end your practice with a skills test where you then you then measure you do if you're practicing your putting okay I'm going to put 9 or 18 holes and I'm going to record those and then I'm going to see how that and then there's kind of no excuse that oh it's going to mess up my my score out on the course whatever uh, you're just trying to create a record to see, you know, is your practice leading to improvement or not?
1: All right, everyone, hope you enjoyed the first half of my conversation with Mark. Stay tuned for part two, because we get into exactly how to structure your practice time using stats, along with a whole lot more. And as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and entertainment purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so that it can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. And again, if you want to improve the quality of your practice and get the most out of your time, then let me hand build you a custom weekly practice plan. Go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan or the link in the show notes to learn more. I also encourage you to go take the mental game assessment. It's a free 15 minute questionnaire that will give you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. The link to everything will be in the show notes of this episode. All right. Thanks again to everyone who listens to the mental golf show, whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building. If you've learned something on this episode, or maybe any other episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Maybe mention the biggest thing that you've learned listening to The Mental Golf Show underneath those five stars, of course. And I would love it if you shared this episode with a friend who thinks they three-putt way more than they actually do. They they cast, they cast overgeneralize their entire round as terrible. I had to have three-putt like seven times well, did you actually, are you actually taking stats? Do you actually know the current status of your actual game? They need to hear Mark Brody talk about it. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.